Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. The first three are called the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, Optic, something you see, and syn means, S-Y-N means to to be together. So synoptic means you, you look through three lenses at the same events many times over. Uh, They repeat each other a lot, the synoptic gospels. But today is one of those sharp distinctions from from that. Uh, We have a story that's only found in the gospel of Mark, and it's an interesting story. It's a unique story uh, about a healing that comes in two parts. Uh, Jesus heals the man and then says, okay, so how's it looking? And the man says, well, I don't see too well yet. And so Jesus completes the healing. So it's um, unusual for Jesus to uh, have that. And it has a process and it's kind of feedback, like I'm getting over the mic right now, by the way. (laughs) Um, You know, getting feedback in the middle. Uh, Never happens before. I mean, Jesus, Jesus... it's never happened again, never happened before. It's kind of unique, and, and, and I think in a solid sense, that's why Mark uh, records it for us. Uh, Mark, again, is uh, the spokesperson for Peter, St. Peter. He knew Peter very well and been educated, in a sense, by Peter himself. And so these would be stories that Peter would have told. Mark never met Jesus, uh, never knew of him. He wasn't a disciple, didn't even live in the same area, uh, but he did get to know Peter really well. Uh, We're working on that little sound thing, I suppose. Uh, I could turn off my mic, but then there would be no recording for the video, etc. It's getting worse as I talk quietly. Maybe I should talk louder, I don't know. (laughs) Okay, okay, well anyway, we'll go ahead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here together, and even if sometimes our silly technology doesn't work well, we pray that you would be glorified in everything that happens. We want, we want you to be lifted up. We want to worship you. Today we've come to worship God. And as we even have participated in beautiful music and scripture reading and, and the Holy Communion, the Holy Eucharist today, We've worshipped you already. We worship you in your grace and kindness and just overwhelming, inexpressible love for us. And Lord, we we want to honor you. We want to live our lives for you. And so uh, challenge us, encourage us to live for you from this text of Scripture. In the name of Jesus, amen. So again, let's look at Mark. It's kind of fine print there, isn't it? Mark 8, 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, uh, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly, and he sent 
him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. All right. So what I plan to do this morning as we look at this text is to, I'll give you a roadmap of what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to look at how, how people love this man. And then secondly, Jesus is a hands-on Savior. And then thirdly, how God uses trouble to get us to be alone with Jesus. And then fourthly, the man's honesty brought him full healing. Now, if you notice in the opening slide, I had the word begging, begging. It's right out of the text of Scripture here. Uh, see in verse 26, 22, and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Very powerful word. Uh, it literally is a, a word that you, you might be familiar with right here. This is a, a little photocopied section of Greek text, and I know most of you don't read Greek. But you can could, you could imagine that's ha. That, see that little rough breathing mark and an O? Ha. And that's parakletos. Parakletos. And that's a noun form of, of a verb, parakleo. Right? You're in your linguistic lesson today. Somebody has been to seminary. What, who do you think that's referred to? Ha. Parakletos. Hint, it's John 15. Thank you. Our non-seminary graduate. <laughs> right there. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. The paraclete. You ever heard of it uh, said that way? Anglicized? The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. That's our, this verb begged, uh, it, it really means to intensely come alongside to ask somebody. Uh, it, like I said, with a, with a, with a passion and it, not giving up quickly, but they were insistent that Jesus would touch this man. And it's interesting because, again, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. He's the one who's called along our side to help us. He's the comforter, sometimes it's translated, or the helper. And he, of course, also, we know that from Romans 8, he prays to God for us. It says in Romans 8, when we don't know what to pray for, he prays in, in groans and you know, utterings that we don't understand. He prays for us. He interprets our prayers to God. In a sense, you could say he's uh, interceding for us to God the Father. And so these people brought this blind man to Jesus and begged him. They loved this man. They cared deeply for him. Now, let's notice also in the text, interestingly enough, remember uh, back up in verse 11, it says this, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. That's a very different outcome to what we have here. Different ways of coming to Jesus. The Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, hey, do us a miracle. 
these people are coming to Jesus with the blind man, and they're basically saying, do us a miracle, right? But you see, the motivation is completely different, isn't it? And the people who are bringing the blind man are coming with a pure, in, insistent, um, passionate prayer to Jesus for his help. The Pharisees are kind of saying, yeah, do some fireworks here, pyrotechnics. Let's see something big. Pull a rabbit out of the hat. Uh, they had a bad attitude. They were actually there to test Jesus, whereas the people who are bringing this blind man genuinely care about him. They beg him to touch him, touch this man. And earlier in the text, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a very powerful word at the beginning of this text, verse 2, remember? The, he the healing, of, excuse me, the feeding of the 4,000 in this case. Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowd. I have compassion because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And that's really the key word in that whole passage. Jesus cared about the crowds of people who were hungry and he was going to feed them. Uh, he was going to provide for them. And I think the point here I'm making is, and I think it's from these biblical texts, is that we should be people who care about individuals, who have compassion. Uh, you know, this, this rises above you know, cultural barriers, economic barriers, racial barriers. We're to be people who love people and really want to bring them to Jesus, uh, no matter you know, what economic situation they're in, no matter what their ethnicity is. We, we see them as people. We care about them, and we should bring them to Jesus with intensity. This could be your prayer life, too. Well, what's your prayer life like? You know, you, you probably have people you know in your life that don't know Jesus at all. I mean, probably. Of course you do. You probably have a whole list of people. You know, we should be those people who passionately bring, compassionately bring. And remember that wonderful, delicious Greek word for compassion, splakna, or splaknidzomai, means guts. You know, have a real gut feeling of love and compassion for the people who are caught in their own web of, of problems, of deceit, of despair. I was kind of moved this past week. I don't, there's a whole bunch of news going on, it seems like. We like to listen to the news radio. And, but did you hear that America's life expectancy is ticked down? You know, just a tiny bit, but it's ticked down. Uh, you're going to live less time, perhaps. And the big reasons are, there are two really big reasons for it. One is the opioid epidemic. It has claimed last year about 70,000 Americans, 70,000. And, you know, just as a frame reference, the traffic accidents, I don't know the exact figures, but they usually hover around 40,000 to 50,000. So 70,000 people died of opioid overdose in the United States of America. And then another surprising statistic, another thing that's rising is suicide in the United States of America. Uh, particularly in some groups of people, it has spiked over the last five years or more, 30% rise in suicide. Um, and in fact, it's actually 
you know, emphasized even more, because some of you in the Navy may have heard what happened over the weekend, a very, very high-ranking admiral who was in charge of, like, uh, all of the ships, 20,000 sailors uh, in the Middle East, committed suicide uh, Saturday, yesterday. Uh, and, you know, it's just like, wow, he was an F-18 pilot. He was one of those Top Gun guys, probably went to the Navy school. I'm just guessing. I don't know. Uh, but we've, we've had a lot of those guys sit in our pews over the years here, you know, those, those, and we have them now, you know, the cream of the crop, everything, in a sense, do, going well when you're an admiral in the Navy, and, you know, it's like, and what is it in his life that fills him with despair? Uh, what is he, what demons is he dealing with? We don't know, I don't know, but it's a very big problem, and I think as, as believers, you know, what, we should be the people who love, who love these folks, who, who you know, pray for them passionately, for one thing, bring them to Jesus in our prayers, but also literally, physically love them and pray that Jesus comes to touch them and bring them into the presence of Jesus. Uh, and this is, this is a, probably a terrible transition, forgive me, but I, I thought this was cute. You know, love people. Here's, here's, uh, that's Linus, isn't it? He says, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. You know, in reality, that's where a lot of us live because people are frustrating and difficult. And uh, it's easy to be self-centered and busy with our own lives and not have any time. It takes time to care for other people. It takes energy to care for other people. Uh, but this text, I think, leads us be the they. Remember, we ran into the they also in this passage. The uh, people who brought the deaf and dumb person uh, to, to Jesus. Um, is that in this passage? I think it's in the previous. It's the, the previous passage, uh, chapter 7. It's the they again, uh, verse 31 and following chapter 7. You know, they brought him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. You know, let's, let's be the they. Let's be on the lookout. What opportunities is God giving us to display, you know, we're people of hope. You know, we believe in hope. Uh, we are people who are here to help people find the hope of Jesus Christ. So that's my first point today. People really loved this man, and that really made all the difference for him. You know, I was going to make a couple points about paraclete. Ha, paraclete. The paraclete is based on this verb for to, to beg, to uh, uh, support, to be with, to be called alongside. And, you know, we say, we say kind of offhandedly, we can't be the Holy Spirit, right? And we can't be. I, I can't get into your heart and your mind and, you know, flick a couple of switches and have you uh, suddenly convinced that God is real and that I'm, you, you need to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I w we kind of wish we could, but we can't do that. You can't get into my heart and mind and find the buttons, you know, ch change the programming and get me to start thinking something else. But the Holy Spirit can do that, right? But here in this passage of Scripture, they aren't the Holy Spirit, but they're 
doing the work of the Holy Spirit. They're, they're, they're the paracletes. They're the ones begging, bringing uh, this man to Jesus Christ. And the word uh, parakaleo means to urge, to exhort, to comfort, to beg. And a nice old-fashioned English word, beseech. I was thinking of that this week. And I, I like old words. You don't hear that very often. To beseech somebody. But they're beseeching Jesus. They're coming, Lord, please help this man. Okay, back to our roadmap. People love this man. My point, too, is Jesus is a hands-on Savior. He's a hands-on Savior. And notice that again in the text. It's very uh, right here. They begged him to touch him, to touch Jesus. It is the incarnation that allows Jesus to to be here, to touch this man in a real, absolute, physical sense. And it says, and he took the blind man by the hand. Now think of that for a minute. Here's the Savior, the Creator of the world, and he's got 12 able helpers right there. But Jesus himself reaches out and grabs that blind man's hand to lead him outside. Jesus is not in for the big show today. Uh, He's taking him way outside the city to be alone with him. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But it's just a beautiful sight. uh, I'm going to quote a a few times. I I was reading this guy's commentary, Alexander McLaren. He was a Scottish, but he worked mainly in England and died in 1910. He was the head of the Baptist Union of of England several times. Another real kind of powerful Baptist guy. Can you imagine how wonderful it would have been to hear him, his brogue, as he spoke? Uh, Beautiful. And he wrote some awesome comments about this passage of Scripture. He really liked it a lot. So I'm going to quote him a few times. So I thought I'd give you a picture of him. There you go. It's kind of a... Neck beard, just just grow it on out there and shave the rest, buddy. <laughs> anyway, it looks cool to me. <laughs> here, here, here's the there's the high points of this quote: hands on Jesus. Jesus is a hands on Savior. I mean, just again, just marvel. I enter into the wonder of our, our God, the Creator of the universe, becoming a part of His creation to be here to love. Uh, I, what what's the gentleman's name that you bring? Ned. Ken. Ken Ken says uh, he's come several several Sundays. He always wants a hug. And this morning he said, "I like hugs. I like physical contact." And it's a beautiful human thing, you know. We need to love, we love and hu- hug, and uh, in a purest sense, love each other. And that's what Jesus did. You know, he didn't make a lesser God. There weren't a series of lesser gods that came down and finally touched us, but God himself, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He is the Lord. He is Yahweh. And he's here in presence. So anyway, hands on. Jesus again, as when healing the deaf and the dumb man I referred to in chapter 7, withdraws from idle curiosity. And we read what is very impressive. This is this dude talking. When we remember that any of his disciples could have been bidden to lead the blind man, that Jesus himself drew him by the hand. 
out of the village. It reveals to us the hearty human goodness and condescension of him whom to see was to see the Father. That he should have clasped in his helpful hand the hand of a blind suppliant for his grace, moistening his eyes from his own lips and laying his hands upon him so as to convey the utmost assurance of power actually exerted. That's our hands-on Savior. He, he is close. He's real. He's touching. And that's the way we should love as well. Uh, and next, I, I'm going to move on to the idea that there's this great purpose in uh, this seclusion. Again, look at the text. It, it says he um, takes him out of the village. And so he's kind of alone. I, we presume there's probably some people around but he's definitely away from the crowds when he does this healing. And, and he does it in this interesting progressive way, which again, this is probably why this story is laid out for us in Mark. Uh, first, he uh, spit in his eyes, you know. I don't know. It's that, that may be a little too much human touch, you know. Let's just not try that one, okay? <laughs> don't, don't, don't spit in my eyes after church. That'd be just fine with me. Uh, he takes the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, again, we don't know the efficacy of this. Why is he doing this? He didn't. He did this before a couple of times, but there's no real explanation. He's a sovereign God. He could have, could have, you know, snapped his fingers and healed him immediately. But there's a process, and and it it actually ties in with a, a couple of things that I want to point out here. So he spits in his eyes. He lays his hands on him, and then he asks him, "Do you see anything?" And the man looks up. And says, well, I, I, I do see something. I, I see men. Uh, but, you know, it's very blurry, essentially. He says, they look like trees walking. They're just like fuzzy movement around me. So then Jesus laid his hands on him again. And he opens his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Now, there's several things going on here. One thing, probably in the context, let's go back uh, to the story just above this, where Mark records, again, this beautiful reality that the Bible records the human authors as just like us, making a lot of mistakes. You could say they, they look rather foolish occasionally, and this is one of those cases. Look at the text with me. Um, uh, verse, let's start, let's just read the whole story from last week. Verse 14, now they had forgotten to bring bread. They ran off and forgot their lunch. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He's actually talking about what just transpired in the previous story, where the Pharisees came in with all their cynicism and their doubt and challenged Jesus, you know, pulled the rabbit out of the hat, and he said, no, you're not going to get any sign. The only sign you're getting is the one that you already are experiencing, which is me, and the one you will see in uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Okay, that, so he's saying that's the leaven of the Pharisees. Watch out for that cynicism that, that ignores all the wonders and miracles in which you are bathing constantly. And, and says to God, you haven't done anything for me lately. There is no real evidence for God. 
uh, and I, I don't believe in him. In fact, uh, I, I found this as a kind of a cute comic, too. Uh, it, it says, it's, it seems like God is too far away from me. This little guy, and then he looks in the, his, his telescope at, at presumably God's thing. I can't see anything. He is too far away. Uh, that's kind of what the Pharisees were saying, you know. Uh, we, we can't see any signs. You know, it's like, wait a minute. I, I've healed thousands of people. We just healed a deaf and dumb guy. I've raised the dead. I've fed 5,000 and then 4,000. The signs are abundant. It's not an issue of whether you can see the signs. It's whether you want to. You don't want to see the signs. You're, you are swimming in the pool of the miracles of God. And that the leaven of the Pharisees that you should watch out for is the cynicism that says, well, there is no God. I can't see. I look in my telescope, and all I see is white. <laughs> You're staring at the gown of God. Uh, I'm just a little comedy. You know, I'm not taking that literally. Okay, but... And so he says, watch out for that. And the, the guys are going, well, yeah, we don't have bread. Verse 16, and they were discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. This is hilarious, right? And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the, the fact that you have no bread? And, and do here, here, and here's the point. Do you not yet perceive or understand? And are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? And then he goes through a little list of the amazing miracles he had just done in their sight. What, what's the connection? Well, Mark, I think, and not just me, I mean most commentators see this, that, that he sees this miracle as sort of mirroring uh, similar to the experience of the disciples. You know, they see they see. You know, Jesus, but they don't see him clearly, really. They, they, they struggle with it. They don't quite get it all. And, and in the moment, they started talking about yeast, and they started thinking about bread, and they were thinking about Subway sandwiches, and they just, yeah, they were hungry. They didn't have it. They were tired, and they kind of were just there, right there. And he's saying, don't you see the bigger picture? And, and it, it's a process, see? They see a little bit, but they need to see a lot more. A lot more clearly. Right now they're looking and seeing trees moving around. They know something's there, but they don't quite get it. So that, that's part of it. But there's also a very significant part of this, and, and that is that our experience, this is like a little microcosm, a little tiny bit of, of we can look through this and see our whole big experience because the Bible says right now we see Jesus but we see as if in a, a, a glass darkly. And then one day, the revelation will fully come. And we see it pretty clearly. But the Bible teaches us that one day, Jesus is coming. You know, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And, you know, at that point, the revelation is going to be full on and huge. And we'll see it all. And we'll, we'll understand a lot more. So this little parable, I mean, excuse me, this little healing teaches us that. And, and there's a process to this. So, again, my roadmap is I'm working through here. This, this man is loved by people. And Jesus is a hands-on Savior. He takes them by the hand. And, and now I want to go to my third point, And that is that God uses trouble 
to get us to be alone with Jesus. There's a, a powerful thing here, and that is this, this guy is blind. He's suffered a great deal in his life. Blindness is you know, no easy thing. Very, very difficult. Very painful. And, but it is that that provides the opportunity for him to come to Jesus, to actually be alone with Jesus and have Jesus uh, talk to him and touch him. And the principle here is that there is a purpose in pain. God doesn't accidentally bring things into our life. He uses trouble to bring us to himself. Uh, On a much less dramatic picture from that slide, I'm going to go back to this real quick. Uh, this might be of significance to uh, Pat Torrey. This is Santa Rosa, New Mexico, and this is Interstate 40. And it's a couple of hours east of Albuquerque. And uh, Charlotte and I have had many wonderful experiences in various places in in the United States of America. And this is one we've had a couple of interesting experiences in, but I'm only going to tell you the second one. It was, it was late Saturday night, and we were, headed, uh, we were headed west. So we were coming from the east, going this way toward Albuquerque. And the, <laughs> the gas gauge said we were essentially out of gas. And we had a uh, GPS thing. I don't have a lot of time, so I'll go to the fast version of this. We had a GPS that pointed out the gas stations, right? And, and so we went, oops, come back here. We went into Santa Rosa, this little tiny, it's like a two-stoplight kind of town. And we went in and we saw the gas prices at that one gas station and thought, oh, we can do better than that. <laughs> it's literally 1 a.m., okay? <laughs> We're in that ballpark. So we said, uh, I think maybe Jorgen was driving it. Uh, this details don't matter. But we said, let's get back on the highway because our, our map thing says like 10 miles out of town, there's a gas station. And I don't know why, but we assumed it would have better prices, right? <laughs> we have this thing, you never go to the first gas station. <laughs> so we zoomed out of town and what happened was we finally did get to that gas station and guess what? It was totally closed. I think it was torn down. It was like a cement slab. Nobody told them our GPS, right? So we said, oh, no, we got a U-turn and come back to Santa Rosa. And we made that about like two miles. Then we ran out of gas. By now, it's sort of 2 a.m. No problem. We actually have cell phone signal, and we're big AAA guys, people. And so we called AAA. You're where? <laughs> we sat there. Wasn't It was, what, at least two hours, Charlotte? What do you think? It was a long, long, long time, maybe two to three hours. I called, I called AAA several times. Well, we're still looking for somebody who can help you. They're great. Oh, we're, we're like supreme members, premium membership. It means nothing when you're outside of Santa Rosa, New Mexico. Okay? <laughs> so uh, it's getting like 3, 4 a.m., and uh, we have no gas, and it's not fun. So I decide, okay, forget it. I'm going to hitchhike in. So I got out, and, and a guy was getting off of work, and he brought me in to Santa Rosa. We got gas, came back, put enough gas in. And then we, yeah, we drove back to Santa Rosa, filled it up at that lovely station. I don't care what your price is. <laughs> and, but, and here's kind of the cool thing. Um, we were praying and you know, kind of fussing and kind of nervous being in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere on the interstate. And we, we 
it kind of pushes us toward prayer and toward the Lord God. We've had several of these wonderful experiences. That's why we like road trips so much. But anyway, we finally got back on the road, and then we drove to Albuquerque, and it was Sunday morning, and we, we found a church. We pulled into the parking lot, walked in just as they were starting worship. And we thought, ah, oh, all is right with the world. Later that day, I ran out of gas a second time <laughs> in Phoenix. No joke. <laughs> but that's another story. <laughs> so, I, 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 again, a silly kind of a light story. But my point is this. The difficulties push us to God. And they, they become a good thing. I'm going to read a little bit more from, uh, from my friend Alexander uh, this is, this is my part, introduction. Jesus chooses uh, to heal as he chooses. It, it can be instant or it can be long-term. He could leave us in the semi-blind state for a very long time. In this case, he chooses to heal progressively and by the use of means, spit and touch, and this and that. This is symbolic of the progress of life. And now here's Alexander. And is not that what he does for us all, sometimes by sorrows, sometimes by sick beds, sometimes by shutting us out from chosen spheres of activity, sometimes by striking down the dear ones at our sides and leaving us lonely in the desert. I could insert New Mexico. <laughs> Is he not saying to us in a thousand ways, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place? As Israel was led into the wilderness that God might speak to her heart, so often Christ draws us aside. If not by outward providences such as these, yet by awakening in us the solemn sense of personal responsibility. I read that to mean sometimes we're just overcome by regrets and guilt or sometimes just overwhelmed by responsibility. Let me read that sentence again. It's so good. If not by these outward providences such as these, yet by awaking in us the solemn sense of personal responsibility and making us feel our solitude that he may lead us to feel his all-sufficient companionship. Ah, brethren, there is a lesson from all this. If you wish Jesus to give you his highest gifts and to reveal to you his fairest beauty, you must be alone with him. He loves to deal with single souls, Alexander McLaren. So there is a, a purpose in pain, and we shouldn't look at the, the challenge of a person who is a theist, who believes in God, that God is, and that the, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, and that he's the author of reality, of the space-time continuum, is his something he made, then, then our duty is to trust even the difficulty. So there is a purpose in pain. Now I want to close with one other observation that I found in, in a commentator. I thought it was really a good observation. Speak the truth. Here's this guy. 
He's just had this experience with Jesus. Jesus personally took him out outside of town and spit in his face <laughs> and touched him and massaged his eyes, you know, and says, how, you know, what, what's the exact words? He says, um, um, do you see anything? See, there's just a moment for the guy to say, yeah, I'm good. I'm good now. Thanks. Thanks so much. Uh, that, was, that was great. Uh, we'll catch up with you later. You know, I'm okay. I don't need to grow. My life is good. I'm good, Jesus. Thank you. Yeah. But he didn't. He leads us in the sense of, let's just be honest with God. You know, are we fully sanctified? You know, no. Have we got the full healing we need, that we desire? No. Are we perfect? No. Are we compassionate like we ought to be? No. The answer is, Lord, no, I need more. I need you to touch me again, Lord God. I need it again and again and again. I need your mercy. It's new every morning. That's the faithful way to come to God. I need you now. I need you every hour. Every hour. I need you. And you know what's cool is that's what saved this guy. That's what caused his full-on healing, that he kept at it. It finally saved him. This man's honest honesty before himself and before God brought him full healing.